Hello and welcome. I'm your hostess, Tanai, and I'm an intuitive coach. I help people feel fully self-expressed in their lives and relationships by learning to accept and love every part of themselves. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal my own commitment phobia, to find out that there's actually no such thing. I'm ready to share everything that I've learned. So this podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia. So drop all your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to really create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Commitment Phobe. Today, I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing one of my closest friends, Julian Castro. He's an amazing artist and the founder of Joel Studios. And personally, more importantly, he's been a massive catalyst in my life. He's introduced me to Wim Hof breathwork, to fasting, reintroduced me to Landmark, and has been the biggest cheerleader in my life. You know, when I wanted to open my own production company, he told me to go for it. When I wanted to potentially move to Israel, he told me to go for it. When I wanted to be a coach, he's actually the one who told me to be a coach. So he really embodies following your dreams and has been a massive reason of why I take that big leap and follow um, what's in my heart. So it's really, I'm really excited for this conversation. Julian is going to be talking to us about his own relationship with intimacy in his life and the fear of, and um, what he's learned along his journey about commitment and relationships. So happy to have you here. Did I miss anything in your intro? That was a great intro. <laughs> Thank you. I think you. you're my new hype woman. <laughs> uh, I had to, had to pay it back. Yeah. <laughs> Is there yeah, anything cool. there that I missed? No, that's good. What's, um, what are you committed to in your life right now? Uh, good question. I'm committed to, well, the underlying commitment last few years is like growth and having my dreams come true and just living my best life. Uh, and what I'm really committed to this year is how good can I have it of like allowing myself to actually even more do the things that I want to do professionally, personally, in relationship and using the pursuit of going for my wildest dreams as the catalyst for personal growth and change. Yeah. It's like life is going to, I'm going to learn things and grow anyway, so might as well do it in the direction of my wildest dreams. Wow. I love that because I feel like up until now, it's been the question of can I really follow my dreams and be happy? And so now it's like, yes, I can. And it can get bigger and better. And I'm going to prove myself that I can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So I feel like you and I, have together learned about our roles in relationship and love and commitment. Um, so to give you a backstory, Julian and I became friends two years ago. Um, we were meeting up to work together because at the time I was a video producer. And, um, and that night he was going to Landmark, which I've spoken about here before. But specifically, it was a seminar on, what was it, relationships? Sex and intimacy. Sex and intimacy. Yeah. And so during this um, sex and intimacy seminar, you know, they, they encourage you to talk to the person next to you. And I told Julian, yeah, I'm pretty, you know, I've been working on, on what I thought was commitment phobia, but it's really just fear of intimacy and fear of 
committing to one person. And he turned to me and he's like, well, I don't think I have a problem with that, but my longest relationships have been three months. And I'm like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so, yeah. So did you growing up consider yourself having any issues with intimacy and commitments? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've only realized that I've been having issues with it my whole life, like uh, a month ago. Wow. And I'm 30 years old. Mm. Like literally a month ago was when I distinguished that I have a deep fear of intimacy, of like truly connecting with people emotionally. How did you figure that out? Uh, I was at this workshop, like a fire walk, walking across coals, and we had this guided meditation before to connect to our deepest fear, to use walking across coals as a tool to transmute the fear and to like walk into a new reality. Um, and in that meditation, it just came up. It was like, yeah, my deepest fear right now is intimacy and has been like mm -hmm. emotional intimacy with romantic relationships, my family, my friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess so. Okay, so you have this big epiphany while you're walking on coals, and so in that moment, did it was before it, the coals. It was before yeah, the coals. Was, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you, you, your intention was to walk through that right, fear with right. the coals. So did your, did you have your life flashback? Like, what, what does it call it? Like your life flashback before your eyes or something? So yeah, did you play out your whole life and see? Oh wow, this was, this has been the underlying thing my entire life. Yeah, it didn't. Not the whole thing, but it was definitely my last relationship was two and a half years and a big thing that I've realized of how I contributed to the relationship not working out was my fear of intimacy and like truly connecting so that's what she wanted and was like pushing me to grow into um and then I also saw how that played out with my family or most of my parents of an extended family <laughs> of just and everyone. <laughs> it's like shout out to all my second cousins. <laughs> yeah, shout out to everyone who's ever spoken to me, <laughs> and I haven't spoken back. <laughs> mm. So, to you, what is that fear of intimacy? Mm. It's been a fear of. I think it like boils down to a fear of rejection, of if I am fully if I fully show myself and reveal myself to someone and get really emotionally like raw and vulnerable and intimate with someone what if they don't what if they reject me and don't want me mm -hmm. that would hurt my poor little ego <laughs> uh yeah and then there was that and then in my thinking about my last relationship it was a fear of losing, so like related to commitment, a fear of losing my freedom because if I'm fully connected emotionally with them in an intimate way, then the story I make up is then we'd be attached and I would lose my freedom. And yeah, mm. it's a fear of losing my freedom. Too. Yeah, which I totally resonate with. Um, I shared on my podcast that. Growing up, um, I very much valued my freedom. I was this, you know, flower child. My heart was fully wide open and 
having my parents tell me what to do and what not to do was such a threat to my freedom. And that very much plays into how I relate to freedom today. So are you aware of your relationship with freedom growing up and how that impacted you? Yeah. I mean, that was my, <laughs> my biggest thing with my mom. Uh, also my mom, but my parents was a desire for freedom. So I was an only child, am an only child. And my parents are immigrants and they, so like their focus was to give me the best life possible. And what came with that was also like being safe, like making sure I don't mess up with life. So at times they were very supportive. And then at other times my experience was very controlling and like restricting my freedom. So I think that had me retract a little and hide and like not want to share with them like i just wanted to like lie and say i'm going somewhere with friends instead of like intimately sharing my how i really feel and like what's really going on with me mm. yeah i mean as teens we, we we're not gonna be like yo yeah no. parents this makes me feel this way please consider my feelings no i'm just gonna shut up and sneak out mm -hmm. so as a kid um being that only child and um having your parents you know put so much on you did you feel that pressure to please them yeah i still do mm. somewhat yeah how so uh i mean yeah i don't know i guess back then we have as a baby especially like our survival depends on our parents so like I think it's natural to want to please our parents to like have them like us so they can, so we can survive. Um, and then I see how that has carried through over the years of, uh, like professionally what I do with my career of transitioning from being an engineer and having a stable salary and going down that stable American dream path, which my parents like wanted for me. Um, transitioning out of that into a, being an entrepreneur and a creative and an artist, which is seen as the least stable path, one of the least stable career <laughs> paths financially. Uh, I came up against a lot of stories of pleasing my parents and like doing that is against what I thought would be pleasing them. So that was tough too. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy when you start to notice how, um, your relationship with your parents plays out in that really in the romantic relationships. The need to people please your parents then feels like you need to people please your partner, which then completely takes away that sense of freedom. Yeah. And even more, like as a man, it's my relationship with my mom, how that played out in my life shows up in every relationship with women romantically now. Wow. And whatever stuff I haven't resolved or worked through with my mom it that's that shows up that's one thing i really learned out of the last relationship too that so okay so you learned you know all the things that you didn't resolve with your mom showed up in the relationship yeah so yeah tell us a little bit more about that and Oof. and like you know most people don't realize that they you know i i, I laugh when it, when people say um when people don't know that basically all your problems can be solved if you just look at your relationship with your parents yeah, you know like when sure. i moved back um, after living, after living out of the house for college and three years in New York, and, and then I went to Israel, I moved back to live with my parents, and I knew that whatever was going to show up living with my parents, 
if I resolved it, then my life would be a yeah. lot easier. So, um, so yeah, what did you learn in, in the relationship? Um, yeah, the parents think that's like the ultimate. What's that quote? Like, if you think you're enlightened, enlightened, go spend a week with your parents. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, what I learned, I mean, it was really the freedom thing. So this book called Mothers, Sons, and Lovers by Michael Graham talks about how our relationship, how a man's relationship with his mother impacts every relationship moving forward in his life. And what I really saw in this case was I didn't, I still had this thing with my mom of like needing to please her in order for me to feel loved. And that didn't have me feel free to be myself with my mom and just like share with her what I'm up to with my life fully and even like really connect with her when we're like hanging out because I'm always holding a part of me back because I'm scared if I am intimate and like share with her everything I'm doing and my dreams and blah, blah, she won't approve or like it or anything. So I didn't feel free with my mom. So the same thing showed up in my relationship. I, a big thing for me was like, I didn't feel free because I am looking back, like taking ownership of it. I had the story that I had to please my partner by like always being there for her and like spending all my time with her. And I didn't create my own freedom in the relationship the same way I don't create my own sense of freedom with my mom. Wow. And one thing they say in the book too is like in a lot of traditions around traditional like traditions, there's always a time. <laughs> traditional. <laughs> <laughs> There's, all, there's usually a time or like a ceremony like around age 18, 20 of the mom and the parents like kicking the son out of the house in like a loving way. Like, I love you and go, yeah. like, go be free, go learn to like live. Yeah. And that doesn't really happen in today's society anymore. Right. So like, you know, I'm, we're, we have a bunch of men, like full grown men that haven't experienced like a, a true conscious like separation to like adulthood and to freedom from their parents like they're still under the or at least in my experience I, i'm still under the home parenthood spell of my parents and right not was, if, even if it's not physical it's still sort of right. the energy it's the energy yeah so yeah. yeah, I um speaking of traditional traditions um, <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to this post-traumatic growth course that talks about, you know, the importance of these rituals, the important importance of these rituals and how um trauma was used intentionally as, you know, as a rite of passage like for for um kids to turn into adults or teens into adults, they would purposely put them in a state of, of trauma where the elders would dress up in war paint and, and at night they would scare them in order for them to let go of that old identity and step into a new one. It was, you know, trauma was used right. for growth. Yeah. And so now we're just super comfortable still trying to please our parents. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of, of this people pleasing habit, I remember you told me about this book, um, no more Mr. Nice Guy, which I recommend to all my male clients now. Um, tell me a little bit more about how that um, played an oh impact into best, your personality and best you. Book ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no more Mr. Nice Guy. 
so it's kind of similar similar topic of what we just talked about. There's so in the book, he I think he talks about like societally with like the baby boomer generation. There, yeah, without that that freedom ritual, they've like a lot a majority of men in today's society, at least in the United States, still have like developed this nice guy syndrome of pleasing people, specifically women. Um, because yeah, we haven't had those rituals of like kicked out, like go, go quote unquote, be a man or whatever in a different, um, definition of that term. So Norman, Mr. Nice Guys, it basically shows how men are nice guys, which means people pleasers, scared to rock the boat, scared to prioritize our needs for fear of hurting our partners, hurting the relationships we're in, fear of asking for what we want and work because we're scared of like rejection or rocking the boat or yeah it's just like a lot of fear of hurting people yeah and then the cost of that is we don't ask for what we want and get what we want in life right and so you end up being resentful so we end up being resentful uh we get into our 40s and 50s and like realize we hate our life and there's a lot of like depression and anxiety it's just a bunch of nice guys walking around yeah not doing what they want to do yeah, and um, and I think also what this book talk. I think this book talks about it how we villainized men, of course, especially now that we're sort of you know stepping away from the patriarchy and like embracing our feminine, that we villainize men, and so men are scared to be this asshole. Oh yeah, like you know you're racist to to say like don't be a cheater, don't be a liar, don't hurt women, don't be that that bad guy, and what ends up being is the total opposite, right? Right. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah, I, I know for you that's a big thing. So I wanted to ask yeah, you, like, oh how did God. that fear play out? The fear of being an asshole and what what did you, you know? Well, I guess, yeah, for me. But yeah, society-wise, there's this huge villainization of masculine energy, healthy mass of masculine energy. And then men hold back their healthy masculine energy because they don't know how to distinguish the line between, like, healthy masculine energy and unhealthy like detrimental masculine energy. Right. So and, results, and for people who have no idea what that is, can you talk about the difference? Yeah. It's like, um, I like to, I really like to talk in extremes. So trigger so warning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unhealthy masculine energy is like raping someone. Healthy masculine energy is knowing, meeting a woman that you really like and like not, you're like declaring and like going for it. Like, Hey, I like you. Or like, let's get dinner. Like you're creating, you're initiating what you want to happen with her. And because of this villainization of masculine energy and like men having this image in some areas of like raping and pillaging the village or like whatever, especially with like the me too movement stuff. I think that's causing a lot of men to like be scared to, to express their masculine energy of like going for what they want in relationships. And that plays out into career and plays out into money and family and everything. So the result is like retracting into these nice guys. Right. Where we don't go where we want for what we want because we're scared of what may happen. Right. It just makes me think of, of any guy who's reached out to me and then been super passive, like trying to compliment me or, and and that used to 
that used to trigger me so much. It's like, just say it, you know, just right. like ask me out or, right. or don't. But, but it's, it's almost like I would feel manipulated because I would feel like they're waiting for me to, um, to say something or do something. Um, I had this guy once compliment me and then I said, thank you. And then he was like, that's it. And I'm like, yeah. And he was, and I was like, all right, let's see what's going on here. Did you expect me to X, Y, Z? And then we got down to it and he was afraid of being rejected if he had fully put himself out there and just asked me out on a date, you know? Yeah, that's that story sums up everything. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because in the book and like just in life, like women want that. They want to feel the masculine energy, like taking care of them and like asking them out and planning things. And Yeah, yeah. So, So back to fear of being an asshole, I'd love to hear sort of, what parts of yourself did you realize that you were holding back? Uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Fear of being an asshole or, yeah, being a nice guy was in the relationship. It was creating time to spend by myself, like away from my partner um, for fear of like, I don't know, making her sad and impacting the relationship negatively. Um Fear of asking for how much I want to get paid with my clients. Fear of, oh, like that masculine energy in client relationships of like, here's what we're going to do. Here's my vision for the project. That kind of energy, like bringing that. I was like way more passive. Like, oh, what do you want to do? Yeah, like, I well, remember this. Want shoot to go? Like, yeah. Wow. And just switching that of like, no. I my vision for you to help you the best is going to be this, this, and this, and this is what it's going to cost. Mm. And I'm still working through it because I just yeah. jumbled my words when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then fear of being asshole too, of like resolving conflicts with friends and relationship and anything. Like if I would get triggered or like some sort of little conflict would emerge, just like not facing it, not addressing it, swiping it under the rug, getting over it. Instead of like bringing it up and like, hey, like what, what just happened? Like this made me feel something or like, did this impact you? Yeah. And it's something you and I have done. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great because (laughs) I get to like, I've been seeing you change on the surface, you know, because I remember when you wanted to tell the client, hey, this is what we're going to do, but then you wouldn't. And so now I get to learn, oh, wow, like that's why that was happening. And that's what you're doing to step into your power. It was a fear of losing the client. AKA fear of losing money, of not making money. Right. Yeah. Which and there's always the pressure to do, especially when you're letting go of that stable job, yeah. corporate America and doing your own thing. Which I've realized too. And this is like a mirror for relationships with women as a man, like with the client, when I'm like passive and I'm like, yeah, we can do a photo shoot. Like, what do you want? Here's so much it costs. And then I'm like, yeah, here's my vision and here's how much it costs and I give a higher rate. It's like, it's actually worth more to the client when I like declare the vision and like I can charge more because the client feels energetically like this person knows what they're doing and like it's valuable. Same thing in like a relationship with a woman. Like if when, when I, or like when a man like declares what they want and they're like really like going for it like ask you out blah blah blah. like it's a higher chance of success for creating a type of relationship that you want yeah no absolutely because i personally i do like feeling like a man is um 
what's you know it's sort of like what you know um the way of the superior man talks about a lot like being intentional being present being um i don't know I, i'm sure you know how to explain it better like how how he describes being in your healthy masculine like assertive almost or like yeah being assertive like yeah. i want to trust you more because you're trusting yourself yeah 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 you're trusting like the man is trusting himself to see his intuition his desire and like act on it and like say it and create it or at least go for it exactly you know, like why would that, i exactly why would i pay you money if you're not sure of yourself if you're not all in and and yeah so that totally makes sense so um on the topic of um feminine and masculine energy something that you practice a lot in your last relationship you said was holding space for the feminine so what does that mean? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I practiced a lot. I started to started at towards the end, like started oh, to really right. learn about it. I well, I so. remember you, I remember you talking about it from the very beginning, but I guess it didn't click until the end. Well, I think it it just really went to another level at the end. Holding space for the feminine is so. In this topic, I see it as like the masculine energy is masculine energy creates the structure. And the feminine energy like flows and in, into the structure. So if you think about like, I don't know, the most simple examples, like a mas masculine energy will like carve a valley through the mountain and then the feminine energy flows into it, it like flows. So in the, in relationship, it's like the masculine energy to hold space. We kind of hold the, the stability of the relationship and just like hold the foundation of it for feminine to express whatever it is they want to express and be without and the man like not being like unshakable is like the term that I think of so like let's say you know there's like women get a bad rap for like oh she's crazy because she's like expressing her emotions because women are great at expressing emotions <laughs> and then the the unhealthy masculine response is she's crazy but holding space for that is like she can the woman can, she can cry, she can scream, she can express her rage. And it's, I'm going to be unshakable in my reaction to that. I'm going to like allow her to express all of that. And it's not going to mean anything about her, about the relationship or anything. It's just, I like, yeah. What difference did, I, did that make in the relationship? Um, it created more intimacy because we could express these things that we had been uh holding in and not expressing and it like you know unexpressed emotions just like build up inside and create all these stories and resentments and disconnection so um and i think also it like helps women feel trusted and like held when there's a safe when the man is creating that safe space to be themselves and to be vulnerable which also the man can do that by like being vulnerable himself right. and like expressing their emotions and crying and rage and everything. Right. I but, mean, whatever we don't have space for in another is whatever we don't have space yeah, for in ourselves. Exactly. Um, and then the result of that, in my experience, has been more intimacy. Mm -hmm. And like was, what what women really want, what both the gen like energies want, is the man wants the woman to feel safe and held so that she will open up 
in all ways and we can be intimate and have a relationship and for the, i think and i would love to hear what you think about this but for the woman to feel really safe it's like the man she wants to feel that the man is holding the container is holding the the unshakable confidence and structure of the relationship for her to bring all of herself to it definitely yeah i think you know from from what i've learned men are very um solution focused and so what happens a lot between men and women is that a woman will vent and share her feelings and the man's like okay how do i find a solution to this even feel that pressure of like oh my god my woman's telling me all these things now i got to get on top of it and fix it and and yeah there is something to just being heard um, yeah. which like w- like if you're a woman out there dating a man just tell him that you just need like to be held like you just need to be listened to and he doesn't need to do anything and that will help like he won't try to find solutions and try to fix yeah. your problems if you just let him know right that's huge thank you for bringing that up because mm-hmm. the man's like instant thing is like how do i fix this <laughs> and that's not what we need to do in like nine times out of ten right yeah yeah, and so this, you know, you you said this provided intimacy for you and the relationship. How is that different than what you thought intimacy was before? Mm. Yeah, I thought intimacy I didn't see like these uncomfortable expressions of emotion as access to intimacy. You know, being a nice guy, I avoided these uncomfortable expressions of emotions all the time because I thought it would it meant that the relationship was bad or like not working out or we weren't meant to be with each other wow I, and i love how you said it uncomfortable expressions of emotion and especially as men thinking problems need to be fixed there's no room for it. we're just expressing these emotions and being with them and and there's nothing else to do right. yeah it's like we're so used to seeing as fight resolution fight resolution yeah, yeah. or for me it was fight this is a this relationship is a problem. It probably needs to end. Wow. Is that, is that how you were seeing it? <laughs> That's how it? I've been seeing it for like pretty much my whole life. Right. Because it's just complete avoidance of conflict. Yeah. yeah conflict avoidance is a huge nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I love they're like popping up. Oh, yeah. That too. We, we're not assholes. We avoid right. conflict. Right. Which is another thing of the masculine feminine energy is like, for both, just accepting conflict as part of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, it's totally okay. Right. I read something by Mark Manson, who, yeah, who writes um, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, who said fighting is a, he- a sign of a healthy relationship. Like, fight. You know, let that out. Don't hold it in. Yeah. There has to be that polarity. Right. Between the, uh, the people and yeah. the energies. It actually creates more intimacy. Yeah, Speaking of exactly. polarities, that just reminded me of something. So when I was talking about creating freedom in the relationship, me creating freedom, I'm also seeing and learning that when I spend time apart, like physically apart, because that's something I just like learned, have learned that I need is like, I need physical space to like go be by myself for a day or whatever. That also creates polarity that creates more intimacy when we come back together. Wow. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And of course, gets you to integrate in yourself and not think about the other person so much. In uh, the Jewish religion, like for Orthodox Jews, when the woman has her period, the man and the woman can't sleep in the same bed. Yeah. And so they say, you know, of course, 
they they have um religious reasons for it connected to god and and cleanliness because she's bleeding but on a, on a different level it creates more sexual attraction yeah because they're so excited to be back in the same bed once she's done with her period so it's just another way that you know these rituals used to be in place right, right, right. to to work with our natural states and our natural um responses yeah huh. I, I like that I, I like that um creating the separation to come back together. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it being time for the period. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, as a woman, though, there is something special about connecting to your period and, and having that energy space, you know, keeping those boundaries and, and having that time to yourself. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Separated from the, yeah. the patriarchy connection. I'm curious to hear your take on this, too, but there's this, like, in masculine culture, there's this, like, demonization of the period of like it's dirty mm-hmm. she's pmsing so i think this is another wonderful opportunity to practice that like holding space for the relationship and for her expression yeah what do you what do you think about that absolutely it makes me think of no strings attached when ashton kutcher brings um brings her a cd of all these songs that either say like red or blood or yeah. <laughs> and it's the period mix like i would love for a guy to make me a period mix yeah honestly I think it's it's something to speak for women too because um, I always like to tell people we're mind, body, and soul. So we're so focused on how do I, you know, make my mind feel better. When when you're on your period, like your hormones are completely off off a of whack. Like give give yourself a, a rest. You know, take time to connect to yourself. Slow down. Um, I think among women, periods are also something that has been you know taboo to talk about. Yeah. Interesting. How yeah. so? I mean, I can tell you when I got my period, the world was like the world ended for me. My life ended. I was 12. I got it before all my friends and I thought it was so embarrassing. Um, I, I stayed home for like a week, I think. Wow. Yeah, because of that lack of ritual again. You know, back in, in when we were living in tribes, there would be a whole ceremony when you got your period. They would like show up the, they would like hang up the, the sheets or in blood or something. Wow, yeah. It was like celebrated. Yeah, celebrated. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We were talk I was talking to my friend um who also does a lot of masculine, you know, work and he said, What if the first time a guy had a wet dream, we also just hung out the sheets? It's like, look, he's a man. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're right. It's all these things that that aren't normalized. Yeah. And and that and it's all these things that are taboo that when you talk about in relationship creates that intimacy, oh my God, like you so said. Right? Like yeah. being able to talk about something like periods or masturbation or shame, um, sexual shame. Yeah. Oof. Sexual shame and fear. Should we talk about anxiety. sexual shame? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> actually, yeah, that 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 also reminds me of um at first when when um like sexuality was a big topic for you and feeling feeling a little shame around that. So um yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay, cool. So the huge elephant in the room with men is performance anxiety. That most men in every group that I've ever shared about my experience with performance anxiety, like half the men come up to me after and they're like, thanks for sharing that. Wow. Me too. <gasps> so like it's so normal. Beyond normal. Wow. Um and that shows up in all different ways for different men. But like, 
there's this, yeah, it kind of relates to, oh, there's so many ways to go with this. There's this pressure to perform that men take on for whatever reason, probably a lot because of porn. Um, this pressure to like be a rock star in bed, especially the first time with someone to like, please them. Here's another nice guy thing. Mm. It's like, I want to perform in bed sexually and please this impress her. And because that's going to like help her like me and like be this, it's a nice guy thing too. And it's also a nice guy thing to like not want to. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And then there's an opportunity too, going back to like talking about periods and like <laughs> celebrating these things that I'm learning. I have learned recently is there's an opportunity to talk to your partners about like and share your anxieties and your fears and your sexual shame and your like stories. That creates a lot of intimacy and it just clears all this charge that you have in your mind. So instead of when you're getting physically intimate with a partner, instead of like being in your head, this is my experience, instead of being in my head, like, like, I wonder if she's going to like this. Are, are we going to have sex? Are we not going to have sex? Like, am I going to have anxiety? Am I not? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I've already talked all that out with her. So it's just not in the space anymore. And we can just be intimate and let things unfold however they do. Wow. And it's such a sign of confidence to be able to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Like people don't get that. It's like when you talk about it, you're actually, it's a sign of how comfortable you are with yourself, with your insecurities. You're owning them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're owning them and and it creates freedom too. There goes that freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's, all these things that we repress that we don't talk about that we keep in our in our mind, like you said, um, and so we we put this pressure on ourselves to be this person for someone else. So this reminds me with I did this sex shame clearing conversation with a friend of mine, same friend I did the three day journey with. Uh-huh. Did I tell you about the sex shame? You thing? did. Please talk about it. So a friend of mine. Um, who leads a, a men's group accountability mastermind that I'm in. That's been the best thing ever. Round table. Shout out to Kevin Herman. <laughs> um, he, we did this sex shame clearing session, he and I over Zoom, where we journaled before we showed up. We journaled out all of our sexual experiences, the ones that we have any sort of shame or regret about, the stuff we've never told people. Like everything, we journaled it out. And then we got on Zoom and we shared it with each other. Like stuff I had never told anyone, I've been so ashamed of, stuff I've regretted and like stuffed down into my memory and like tried to forget everything. And just sharing it with each other and vocalizing it and like having that, that opportunity and that safe space to just get it out. Similar to what we just talked about. It's just, it's out of my mind. It's not in my space. It's just, shared and it's like normalized and it's like okay it's made okay to be a human and have all this shame yeah and sharing it with another man yeah because that's not something that is you know that's something that's still very taboo men talking about their feelings with each other and their insecurities like it's such a threat to their masculinity yeah and talking about all the sexual experiences that weren't 10 out of 10s because men it's always talking about like oh my god the best time was this the coolest time oh on a train it's never Oh my God. Yeah, we tried to have sex last week and I couldn't get it up. Right. Guys don't want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's and I hilarious. was so embarrassed that she never called me again. 
Wow. You guys never talk about that. No. But we've all experienced it. Yeah. Wow. That's so healing. Yeah. Um, so that, that actually, um, that, that leads me to the topic of expressing yourself. You know, this is one way of talking through things that you've repressed, all the things in your shadow with your friends, with your partners. And now I want to talk about your art and, um, and how expressing yourself, letting yourself be this artist and express yourself through art, how that's impacted, um, who you are in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Stepping into being an artist and calling myself that and making paintings and sharing them with the world. It's kind of, it's this intimacy thing on like, for me on a societal level of like me being intimate with the public and society of like, because sharing art, making art and sharing it publicly is like a very vulnerable and intimate thing to do. There are so many people, there's so many closet artists that write poetry in their journal, make little watercolor paintings, record themselves singing, but never share it. And I'm not saying they should, but there's a lot of people that would want to, but they're scared. Mm -hmm. So for me, sharing my art and being an artist is like, it's another level for me to practice intimacy and vulnerability because I'm like bearing my soul to the world. Like when I post a photo of a painting and the description of like what I went through or what was coming up for me in this painting, it's like I'm being (laughs) intimate with social media with like public yeah and that's like yeah that's cool yeah what have you been shedding as you stepped into every post or every painting or every time you put yourself out there shedding the biggest thing is a fear of judgment fear of judgment from friends and family of uh like just judging what i'm doing with my life as an artist like i went to like a private school and then a good college and worked in corporate America. So it's like, now he's an artist. That's my fear. My fear is people are judging like, he's an artist now. Like what, what the hell is he thinking? Or like, and owning that with my parents too. There was, there was fear around that. Um, yeah. What, um, what I'm imagining is like this little Julian inside you, like a little monster who says that, what do you say back to that little monster? If it's a monster, maybe it's something else. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'll tell you what I say now is I'm really practicing just like owning it as much as I can because I've seen that the more I own what I'm doing, it energetically enrolls other people into supporting and accepting what I'm doing. Like when I show up to my parents and I'm like, I think I'm going to be an artist. (laughs) That's when they're like, oh, you should really think about getting a job or like, you have an engineering degree. Haven't you thought of like working at Tesla? Mm. But when I show up and I'm like, I think I'm going to get a studio and I'm going to really go for it. I've sold paintings and I proved to myself that I can do it and it's really exciting. Then they're like, how can I support you? Mm. Wow. So for me, it's been this energetic owning of what I'm doing that. I mean, people are going to judge anyways, but I, I feel like it, they judge a lot less. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, and, it. and it's like, you know, it's like good to trigger people, you know, whatever they're seeing in you is them not allowing themselves to, you know, follow whatever would 
provide freedom for them. But it's so beautiful because what you're doing is seeing the reflection of your inner work. Because, you know, it's like I read in um, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. She talks about how, you know, people that complain, why, you know, all these guys are so unavailable. You know, I keep attracting these men who are um, commitment phobes. And it's like, what's what's unavailable in you? Like, where are you not? Mm, like, you know? how is that a reflection yeah, for you? Yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, what you're talking about is you being certain of yourself has reflected externally in, in that certainty from other um, people. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I see other people not judging or not saying things, I'll be like, oh, cool, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. It's like the other day when I told you that. Um, that I started to attract something different than, than the usual patterns that right. I've attracted in relationships and the two of us, right? We're in Julian's studio right now and we were there that day and we were like, yes, <laughs> we're doing it. It's working. <laughs> I'm having different results. Yes. The shadow work is working. Oh, so good. So good. So, um, you told me that one of the things you're focusing on now is not, um, not just going for relations, just not, not just going for women that pursue you and, and are in a, a full body. Yes. Mm, yeah. How did you come to that um, cool. intention? So another nice guy thing that I have done for most of my adult life has been not wanting to reject women. And I would, Get, so I would get into like relationships or intimate situations with women that I didn't re I didn't fully want to be in, but it was enough of like, yeah, sure, energy. And that is not a recipe for a good relationship. <laughs> so now, um, realizing this lately, I'm choosing to be like very intentional with women that I am with. To, for it to be like a full body fuck yes is like what I'm going for. Because in the past, I would, um, yeah, I would just say yes to more, more so I would just be saying yes to women that are interested in me and not having that masculine energy that we talked about before of like going for the partner I want and like creating the relationship that I want and the vision that I see. Um, more just like accepting what comes to me. Mm, right. And, and you said that, you know, that one of the payoffs was avoiding being lonely. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So now that I'm like, now that I saw that and I'm like not saying yes to, unless it's like a full body fuck yes. So like I've been like choosing to be single and it's shown me my loneliness, which I didn't think I never saw myself as like being lonely or like, yeah. So like now it's a recent thing. I'm like, oh, wow, I can feel lonely sometimes mm. if I'm not feeling this lonely with like text flirting with someone just to like text flirt with someone. Right. Or just like attention. going on a dating app or like hanging out with someone tonight and like going to get dinner just because I want to like be in the presence of a woman and flirt with them and like feel that energy, mm -hmm. even right. though deep down I don't want to like be engaging with them in that way. Right, it's like that love-hate thing. Yeah. I want this and I don't at the same exactly, time. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I get that. What parts of, your, of yourself have you met, um, 
Yeah. What parts of yourself have you gotten to know in this loneliness? Um, definitely more of my artist side. It's actually created, it's starting to create way more self-love than I've probably felt in a long, long time. Because I'm just starting to feel comfortable with myself and creating more too. It's like I'm connecting to a creative energy inside of me that I guess what I'm realizing now, it's like instead of using that creative energy to create a relationship that I didn't want to be in, I have this creative energy to create other things. Um, and another amazing practice I've been doing recently, which is especially good for men out there, is called doing nothing impeccably. So I've been doing this a lot and I love it. I sit there and I do nothing. And the impeccable part means I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not meditating. I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting there, eyes open, set a timer for 20 minutes and just do nothing. Wow. What has come out of that? Oh my God. It's the best thing ever. It's just, I think it's part of the, the loneliness thing. It's like just being comfortable spending time with myself, not having to fill that time even with like Netflix or reading a book or being productive mm -hmm. or working or. So I'd walk to a bench and sit there for 20 minutes and do nothing. Right. Which is something that a lot of us allow ourselves to do on vacation. Right. Like just sit on a beach chair yeah. and just stare at the sky. Or but even these days, I feel like it's rare that we actually like stare at the sky. Yeah. It's like we're texting or like scrolling Instagram or we're still... making our lives Instagrammable. Yeah, like the vacation exactly. is to make our lives right. Instagrammable. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and talking, speaking of being by yourself, I'd love to hear about your three-day journey being alone in the woods. What did you call it again? Like a... A solo? No, a you called it... nature solo? Vision quest? Vision quest, yeah. yes. Three days of being completely by yourself. Yeah, the ultimate doing nothing. Right. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so my same friend that I did the sex shame conversation with and one other, the three of us, we got together in southern Utah in October. And we drove to a parking lot and then we hiked out for a few minutes. We found like a place that there was no one. And then we went our separate ways and we we're like, all right, guys, let's meet back here in three days at sunrise at the cars. And we each went our separate ways and spent three days, three nights, totally alone, no electronics, no journal, no inputs, no mind altering anything no food just water and the clothes on our back no food yeah so it was wow a so the whole thing is like and this is based on like i think native american lakota tribe traditions of speaking of traditional traditions right. yeah <laughs> uh vision quest and we like i spoke to a couple of friends that have done this with like actual guided vision quests with like traditional um guides from native american traditions and it's like a, a big thing, part of their culture. So, how did that influence your your intimacy with yourself? It, yeah. I mean, this was like six weeks after this last relationship ended, and I was still like grieving and sad and like scrambling for any sort of understanding of what's going on in life. And it just helped me so much just like sit with myself and 
you know, the first two days weren't actually even that memorable to me. I was kind of just really sitting there and meditating and just like, almost felt like I was waiting. But the third day, I was sitting there meditating and I just had this wave of, it felt like a new chapter of masculine adulthood for me. And it's, it's so hard to put into words. Like, I, I feel like I can't describe it to people, but it was just this feeling like I totally embodied this energy of this masculine adulthood that it was everything that my last partner was like calling forth from me that I wasn't embodying or being. It was everything that felt powerful in my career. It was everything that felt powerful in my relationship with my parents and my family and my friends. Like all the things that I wanted to be and feel, I just had this wave of that feeling. And the best way I can describe it, it's like a new chapter of masculine adulthood for me. Wow. Yeah. You know, it just reminds me of, of how you described holding space for the feminine. It's like you were completely holding space for yourself. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wait. Let me think about that, what you just said. <laughs> no, it's like what I'm hearing just from just from talking the past hours is that your whole life you've been running away from yourself and from different parts of yourself. And so you have been working on not running away with yourself. And that has reflected, you know, how you are with other people. Yeah. The more I am comfortable and embodied and with myself, I can then be fully connected to other people because I'm connected to myself. Another thing with the nature solo is big intention of it and experience is connecting with the divine mother nature because that's the only partner that I had there. So I think I'm still working out like how this actually like how to put this in words or like what actually happened. Yeah. But I think I don't think there is there was a huge experience of like just being so connected to mother nature and being nourished by her for three days. So maybe that had an impact of like connecting. to. Mm, yeah. Right. Because there's that polarity again. Yeah. I, at least in my experience, um, that feeling of a lack of safety in a relationship I've been able to nourish it by remembering that Mother Earth is holding me always. And I can create my energetic boundaries and also I'm always held. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. We forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I remember you, you even spoke to nature. I spoke to trees. You spoke to trees. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I never thought I'd be the type of person to talk to trees. <laughs> I know. But they taught me a lot. <laughs> what did you learn? Um, it was in a valley and it was pretty windy and the, at times and the trees, they were just like dancing in the, in the wind and they were singing and the sounds of the leaves. So I was just like asking them, like, what's your lesson? Like, what's your message to me? Which was a, a recommended practice during the vision quest is to try to communicate with nature. Mm-hmm. And they were just like showing me that like they can dance and, and live their life no matter what is going on around them. Wow. What a what a beautiful representation of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Especially a tree that you're like stuck in the same spot right. for your whole life. Yeah. You get rained on, you get hot sunshine, cold, snow, wind, and they're, they're just like, I'm a tree. You're my thing. 
<laughs> yeah, and I I love that you're saying this because the next thing, and la- and as we wrap up, I wanted to bring up what you know you said you realized recently about commitment. Oh yeah, yeah, and so it's the same thing. Like you know, trees are there forever, just in the same place. But you said that you were um that you you had this epiphany about how you were defining commitment. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I realized I have in my whole life I've collapsed commitment and forever into one concept and I, I thought if I'm committing to someone or a relationship I'm going to be in it I'm committing to it forever and that brought up commitment phobe because I saw it as losing my freedom or like myself and my identity or whatever so now I'm realizing oh shit I can be committed but it doesn't mean forever or any sort of time domain it's like I'm committing to this relationship now and then I can even shout out to the same person, Kevin, who I did this. Kevin's getting so much love on <laughs> Kevin's here. Kevin's going to be on this show. He doesn't yes. know it yet. He's going to love it. Um, <laughs> he's helping me see like, oh, you can commit to a relationship and you can actually create a container, like this masculine container for the relationship to like flourish and be its thing of saying like, hey, let's commit for six months, like fully commit all in. And then in six months, we'll have a check in and see if we want to recommit. For longer or not like that's a very masculine structured approach to then create allow the feminine magic and beauty of the relationship to unfold that's like you can't really structure that but wow so that's cool because that now that like creates so, a sense of freedom in me to know that i could say i'm committed to you and like let's check in in six months or whatever we co-create together a that's year so three powerful months to, yeah you know it makes me think of um, another taboo of defining the relationship. And so it, it has us be in this anxious state of, I don't know what you want. Um, I don't know how I should act. Should I act like we're in a relationship? Should I not? And so these conversations are so important to just say, you know, let's set a container. Let's see, let's only, you know, be with each other, but without any labels. It's just like, what are we committed to in this container together? For sure. And I think that's such an opportunity for intimacy too. Because you can, the two people can create whatever the container they want it to be. You can like co-create it, what works for them, what boundaries, what agreements. And then there's freedom and intimacy because you're not wondering. It's not in your mind. You're not wondering. It's like people say the things. (laughs) (laughs) Just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So good. Uh, So um, I'd love to hear, last thing, some words that you would say to Julian before all of this. I never got to meet Julian before. You know, you started your your journey going inward. And um, I'd love to hear Julian who who hated, you know, opening up and being intimate and who feared rejection. What would you say to him? First thing that comes to mind is I would say something around like get messy. Like it's okay to get messy with people. And understand that all that messiness is an opportunity to grow and to, yeah, to grow and to learn and to connect. And like that messiness is like, it's the weight in the, in the, in the weight room. Like those are the weights to make you stronger because it's, it's a nice guy thing. Like I spent so much time being a nice guy. It's a fear of getting messy. It's a fear of saying what you want to say for going for where you want to go for saying no when you want to say no. Because it was a fear of getting messy for me. So it's like, I would say, it's okay to get messy and know that 
the messiness is the good stuff. Mm. That's the growth. So good. And I can see that in your paintings. You know, it's like <laughs> they're they're just so spontaneous and free. So that's that's awesome. I love that message. How can my listeners get connected to you? Um, Instagram is probably the best at Julian underscore creates. That used to be my personal account. It still is, but now it's flooded with all my art. So you can see my art. You can see some videos that I create sharing about my art and my story um, and reach out there. Awesome. Is that where people can uh, purchase your art if they're interested? Yes. So there's a link in there to my website and people can buy stuff online and sign up for my email and following in my Instagram. If you're in Miami too, I'm doing more events in my studio, workshops, creativity workshops, helping people get connected to their inner artist, get intimate with themselves through paint and get intimate with their dreams too. Mm, That's a yes. big one. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.tanaimelgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.